Welcome to this week's Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. And this week we're discussing Showboat from 1927. Music by Jerome Kern and lyrics by Oscar Hammerstein II, Eric. That's quite a pedigree for uh, for any work of uh, of art, you know, regardless of whether it's a musical or an opera. Uh, in this case, a musical that really benefits from the uh, resources of an opera company, because these vocal parts really do require a classical trained voice uh, for several of the lead roles. Not all of them, mind you. Some of them, like Queenie, is a belt, but Joe and Magnolia and Gaylord. And, uh, and Julie really do benefit from, uh, from having operatically trained singers who can really do this score justice. Let's talk about what this piece is. Some would say it's musical theater. Mm -hmm. Some would say it's certainly not opera. How <laughs> do we categorize it? What is it about this piece that makes opera companies want to perform it? what we were saying before it really does require it, it benefits from having operatic voices you don't want to hear a broadway belt singer do magnolia that vo vocal type is just not going to work with this music it, it needs an operatically trained voice at the same time it also has scene changes and choral scenes and uh you know crowd scenes you know large groups of people on the stage that also benefit from an opera company. It doesn't benefit from a scaled down approach. It's on a, on a pretty grand scale, you know, especially when you've got the showboat in operation, you've got a show within a show, you've got a stage on the stage as in including an audience on the stage witnessing the production. It's, it's on a grand scale. But then as, as with the best of grand opera, like say Verdi's Aida, the real meat uh, of the show happens in intimate scenes between two people. But then again, you also have these big scenes where you need some scale, you know, and you need a, a company that's able to give you that scale. It's been described as a musical play rather than a musical comedy. It was a break with everything that had come before in terms of the musicals of um, you know, the, the, the Ziegfeld Follies, for example. Right, the frivolous sort of reviews. Uh, frivolous is a little too harsh a word, but, you know, they're light. They're feather light shows. They're, they're reviews, and they don't really have plots necessarily even. They just uh, were uh, a, a succession of musical numbers and performers and performed live, and that was, that was your theater. The showboat of the title is The Cotton Blossom, which is this uh, riverboat that travels up and down the Mississippi, offering entertainment. Indeed, and we, we meet uh, the, the denizens of the Cotton Blossom. We meet the family that runs it and owns it, which is Captain Mandy and his wife, Parthy, and their uh, young, beautiful daughter, Magnolia, whom Parthy is trying to shield from the stage, you know, because she doesn't want that life for her daughter. But Magnolia is, is inevitably drawn to that, and she, she really wants to try her hand at the stage. And into their lives comes this um, dashing, uh, charismatic gambling man named Gaylord Ravenall, who, you know, is up to that point been very much a love him and leave him type. He and, and Magnolia begin to find themselves drawn to one another in a very substantial way uh, that he hasn't experienced before, and she hasn't either because she's so young. Gaylord and Magnolia replace the leading man and the leading lady from the Cotton Blossom, who have to make a quick exit, Steve and Julie. Right, and we are introduced to Steve and Julie, who are the reigning leading man and leading lady of the Cotton Blossom, 
but she has a secret uh, that we come to find out slowly through the course of Act One. Uh, she She's has mixed race. She is. She has. She has African American blood, and in that day and age. That was not okay. And she's married to Steve, who is white. Right. And so the anti-miscegenation laws reign supreme. Right. And, and also, she's not, uh, as someone who has African-American heritage, she's not supposed to be allowed to perform on the, on the showboat. Uh, the African-Americans uh, on the showboat are all laborers, manual laborers. You've got Queenie the Cook and Joe as well. Right. Her husband. Right. Steve is accosted by Pete when the boat pulls into to, to town, Natchez, Mississippi. And Pete tells Steve that he has the dirt on Julie. There's a fight. They get thrown off the boat. And Pete's reaction is to go get the sheriff. Right. When Steve gets word that the sheriff is coming back to the boat to arrest him and Julie, what does he do? He actually cuts Julie's hand. He ingests some of her blood. Yeah, he does. That way it's not miscegenation because he has, he can legitimately say, if asked, that he has African-American blood in him. He's not surprised by Julie's secret, but they can no longer perform on the boat. Correct. They have to go off and make it on their own now, which leaves a, a hole on the Cossum Blossoms ticket. <laughs> which Magnolia is reluctant to fill uh, to some degree because Julie was a very, very close friend of hers. But Captain Andy, he's, he's found Gaylord Ravenall, this, this dashing, you know, leading man type who feels that he can step up and fill this role. And uh, to play opposite him, uh, Captain Mandy decides to give Magnolia a shot at it. Act one of Showboat takes place in the 1880s. Act two... Several years have passed. It's the, the mid-1890s, and Gaylord and Magnolia are now living in Chicago. Right. Living off his winnings as a gambler. Right. And they have a daughter, Kim. And they're married. But Gaylord's uh, luck doesn't hold. No, he, he goes on a losing streak on, in a very big way, and his reaction to that and his way of dealing with that and the fact that he's not able to keep Magnolia and his daughter and the lifestyle that they've they've become accustomed to is he just leaves. <laughs> He's a very flawed character, and he, um, you know, is full of self-loathing at that point, and and feels that he can't care for them anymore. And the best thing for them would be to go back to uh, her parents on the showboat, and so he simply bolts and leaves her high and dry. And she starts to sing, Magnolia starts to sing at the Trocadero Club, where, as luck would have it, Julie has also been singing. Well, she comes into audition, and uh, I believe, and, uh, and Julie overhears the audition and overhears Magnolia's circumstances, that she's been abandoned by her husband, she has a baby, she's got to, you know, make a living somehow. And uh, Julie has been headlining at the Trocadero, and she hears all of this, and she, she at this point, Julie, uh, has been abandoned herself by Steve. And she's been, you know, eking out a living and has become uh, an alcoholic. Her, her beauty is sort of faded at this point. She's, she's a bit of a, of a ruined individual, but she's still eking out a living as a singer. But when she overhears Magnolia, her old 
you know, good friend from the showboat auditioning and hears the circumstances that brought Magnolia to this place, Julie decides that she's going to step in and, uh, and try to lend a hand to Magnolia as best she can in her current circumstances. She recognizes Magnolia in large part because Magnolia sings Can't Help Loving That Man, which is the song that, that was Julie taught associated her. with Julie. It's associated with Julie, but when we first hear it in the first act, it's interesting because Julie starts to sing it, and Queenie immediately picks up on that and says, how do you know that song? Only black folks sing that song, which is the first inkling that we have uh, of Julie's secret. So that's how she recognizes, she hears the voice. She doesn't see Magnolia, but she hears the voice, hears the song, and asks after her. And when she finds out what brought Magnolia to this point, she herself decides she's going to step aside and she basically walks out in order to allow Magnolia the chance once again to step in for her. Let's talk about one of the other great songs from Showboat, and that is Old Man River. Oh, boy, yeah. Old Man River that uh, Joe sings throughout the piece. And it's the recurring theme, isn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, we all know the lyrics, I think, and it's it's about the the permanence of of the river, impervious to the trials and tribulations of the people that that work and toil and live on it. The river is always smooth, inexorable, always vast and grand and and bigger than the troubles and uh, of the of the people that make their living on it. And so, what function does Joe have? within this piece well joe and queenie they're supporting characters who really drive home the very profound message about this show i mean it's about racism there's a love story at the center of it but the love story is is there to sort of magnify the uh the social problem that this show focuses on which is still with us today and the, the African-American characters in Showboat are there to humanize the fact that in that day and age, you know, yes, they were free. They were, you know, slavery had been abolished all, by that time. However, I mean, they, they were free, but they weren't. They were relegated to only certain kinds of jobs on the Showboat. They could only do the manual labor. You know, socially, they were, you know, segregated. And and in this, Showboat was really very much ahead of its time. I mean, this this came out in the 1920s, remember, and we didn't have the civil rights movement until 40 years later. And this musical, coming from the tradition of Ziegfeld and all the light, frivolous entertainments, this musical was, I believe, the very first time that someone took the musical theater format and had it focus on something this profound and weighty a subject matter. And it's ironic in many respects then that the words of wisdom come from Joe, one of the black characters. Exactly. Old Man River. You and me, we sweat and strain, but Old Man River just keeps rolling along. Well, that's this week's Cheat Sheet. Jerome Kern's Showboat. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. Thank you for listening.